Welcome to You Rising. I'm Julie Kiefer, Associate Director of Science Communications at University of Utah Health and host of this episode. On this podcast, we share stories about impactful research taking place at the University of Utah. And my guest today, Aaron Rothwell, is at the epicenter of all that work. Erin is the Vice President for Research at the University of Utah. She was appointed by President Taylor Randall in April after serving in the position on an interim basis since January 2022. Prior to that, Erin helped lead the U's grant support efforts, research education expansion, and environmental health and safety offices as Associate Vice President for Research. She has and continues to fill a pivotal role in our research enterprise. And as a researcher herself, Erin focuses on the ethical, social, and legal implications of genetic and technological advancements on individuals and their families. Welcome to You Rising, Erin. Well, thank you for having me, Julie. So recently, your office, the Office of the Vice President for Research, announced that the U has achieved a new milestone of $768 million in research funding, which is phenomenal. Now, I know this is more than just about a dollar amount. So can you explain what that number represents? Well, yes, uh, $768 million in research funding is, is very impressive, and it's a, a testament to all of our researchers across this campus. To get to a number like that, you have to submit, I think, over $2.5 billion in proposals because it is very difficult to get grants. And oftentimes it takes multiple submissions in order to get it. So when I see that number, I kind of look beyond that number into what it really took to get there. And, that is, and that's all our wonderful researchers in this community identifying a problem, being passionate about it, and pursuing it. And so we've grown for the last 10 years. And that is just a testament to the institution, too, as we become more of a world leader. And so where does this funding come from? Most of it comes from federal sources, about 64%. And that primarily comes from the National Institutes of Health, Department of Energy, and the National Science Foundation. The rest of the funding comes from associations, foundations, local and state government, as well as industry funding. So when you think about that dollar amount, what, what does it represent? What are some of the colleges, institutes, or programs that really stand out to you? Obviously, the health sciences has been the backbone of our research enterprise, but we saw a lot of growth in other areas as well as the health sciences. You know, architecture had over a 200% growth in research funding, as well as social work. Center for Cardiovascular um, Translational Research, they also had a huge growth, as well as HCI, which is the Huntsman Cancer Institute. But within the, the School of Medicine, right, <clears throat> which is our biggest hitter, you know, you really see the, the two biggest hitters are pediatrics and internal medicine, right, which make up almost 40% of the funding. But dermatology, OBGYN, ophthalmology, and visual sciences also had huge growth years. This growth is, you know, it's consistent with our previous growth, but we're also seeing new growth in other areas, which I think is a testament to the influence of President Randall and his um, vision to hit $1 billion in research funding. Yeah, I love hearing about the different areas that you mentioned because they were so varied, going from architecture to pediatrics. I mean, <laughs> how different is one from the other? Can you share a few of the big research projects behind the numbers? Is there a concentration or focus area? Well, that's a great question, Julie. You know, with over 3,000 different unique awards, 1,125 unique principal investigators getting awards, it's really hard to identify those. But just looking at, you know, our largest contributors, the Forge grant by Joe Moore, over 50 million. And that, that grant is really focused on advancing geothermal energy. And, you know, we're actually international leader in that, um, not just national. And so that's been 
one of our strongest and most amazing programs in terms of the sciences. But, you know, Chad McDonald in social work with the Division of Child and Family Health Services, you know, they get contracts from the state to help further develop the workforce for our state. You know, and also just a couple other ones, right? Alana Well from Huntsman Cancer Institute. She is just this phenomenal breast cancer researcher. You also have Tori Metz, who just got this new NIH Center in Excellence grant to address substance abuse during pregnancy. And then, of course, Wes Sundquist, who's one of the international leaders in HIV research. So, you know, it's hard to identify what are the most exciting. Everything's exciting, but it's impressive to see just the breadth and and, uh, diversity of our research. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talked a little bit about workforce development. I mean, that's just one way that you is contributing to our state as a major economic engine. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How can we understand the impact of the use research funding on the Utah's economy? You know, one of the things we're trying to do is improve our messaging. You know, with $768 million in, in research awards, that's resulting in almost over 10,000 individuals who are employed from indirect and direct funding sources from research. We have over $126 million in research-related expenses across the country, as well as almost $30 million um, within the state. Um, and this is not even including, you know, the direct and indirect labor income and, and taxes. So when you think about the University of Utah and the economic relationship to the state, I mean, we are a, a big driver. Spin-out companies too, right? I mean, there must be a lot of really innovative technology that's coming out um, that's spinning off companies that are doing good things. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And, and it, it's interesting that you asked that question. So we're actually uh, revamping our technology transfer program to maximize and bring out more of those companies. So we should have a podcast on that on itself, right? So we're splitting our tech transfer office into two units, one that will solely focus on spin-out companies and commercialization. Um, that's going to be led by Jim Holtailing, who's our, our newest associate vice president for research. And then Bruce Hunter is really going to focus on improving our administrative structure for supporting those types of disclosures um, and really focusing on customer service. We're such a big enterprise now, we need to specialize in how we're providing um, service to our, our researchers. Yeah, and that's one of the big changes under your leadership. Um, another are these new hubs, these hubs for research. And the two newest ones are the One U Data Hub and the One U Energy Hub. So can you talk a little bit about those? Um, what What is a hub and what need are you trying to fill here? So when I was the interim, right, one of the most, I think, common complaints I heard is that we're siloed on this campus. And so we wanted to create a mechanism that wasn't tied to any type of uh, return on funding, but really focused on community building around I would say federal priorities, state needs that really was trying to bring societal impact. And so we launched the One U Data Science Hub because, you know, if you think about data science, that's at the core and foundation of a lot of our research, right? Research computing infrastructure is critical to growth. And that has been just a phenomenal success, a great partnership between the health sciences and main campus. And in fact, I don't even want to separate anything more between health sciences and main campus. I think we're we're a One U research community. And that's the same with the Energy Hub. The Energy Hub, which is technically called the Energy Futures Engine Hub. That's a mouthful. You know, it's not so much about writing grant proposals. It's about community building and also working with the state. Right now, we are close to submitting a $400 million grant for Solar for All to help support the Office of Energy Development. So these hubs are designed not only to create 
communities around important issues, but they're also to help work more directly with the state. We just launched the STEM Education Hub under Nancy Songer, and we have 12 12 working groups who are in line to try to become a hub. It has Mm -hmm. just been a it's been a humbling but rewarding experience. And, you know, Jake Jensen is is leading that effort and he's doing a phenomenal job. That sounds really exciting. I mean, when you think about these hubs or, or maybe beyond these hubs, is there a particular project that really gets you excited that you want to talk about? Actually, we created the Lyft office, which is the large infrastructure funding team. And that is to better support large interdisciplinary research teams going for bigger types of grants that have greater societal impact. And one of the projects we supported last uh, year was Masood Paravania, and he just got a NSF Climate Award. Um, and it's actually a U.S.-Canada partnership looking at the entire Western interconnectivity of our grid, right? And how do we secure and better support energy so we don't have blackouts or if we don't create wildfires. It has just been such an exciting project because that really is a, a critical need, not only for the state of Utah, but for the Western United States. And so that's one of the, the most exciting projects that's come out. And of course, I, I mentioned Tori Metz, but you know the leading cause of uh, maternal death during pregnancy is substance abuse. And you know that's a $14 million project in partnership with clinical partners, as well as state partners to address that, that huge need. So, you know, I, I know we started off with 768 million and myself as, you know, an NIH funded investigator, you know, no one's writing these grants just to bring in dollars. I mean, it is so much work. It, it consumes so much of your time. That's what really excites me about this is the passion that our researchers have to try to solve problems and improve the life and well-being of all Utahns. Yeah, no, I love hearing how the expertise here can be so important, not only in this state, but even in the region. And if you're talking about things like substance use and pregnancy, that has national implications too. So great, great work. So Erin, there's so much research going on here, and a lot of it is having real-world impacts on our own community. Can you talk about some of that work? You know, I'm going to talk about it in generalities, right? I think sometimes people think, oh, research, it stays up within the institution, within the the walls of the University of Utah. But that's absolutely not why we're doing research. When you think about the challenges we have around energy, right? The creation of new renewable energies, right? We are working hard to advance geothermal technologies so that we can sustain the growing population here at the university in the state of Utah. Then you think about, you know, maternal morbidity and mortality, right? We're developing interventions that are actually implemented within communities and clinics to prevent those types of, uh, I would say, incidents. I also think about it's not just about interventions. It's also about studying the contextual factors that our citizens in the state of Utah live in, right? Like Andrea Wallace uh, is studying the social determinants of health. So taking into consideration access to food, transportation, feeling safe in a home, right? And how does that relate to discharging someone at the hospital? Are we releasing them back into an environment? Can we create a process where we're setting up services um, so that they do have transportation and access to set up access to basic services that can address quality of life, but also the health and well-being? I can go on a couple more if you, if you would like. Um, those are just some off the top of my head. Well, and air quality is a big one that is on a lot of people's minds. Yes. Climate and change. Climate change and air quality. 
we have this amazing um, program where we have sensors around the valley. And as, let's say, potential pollution increases, we're able to monitor how is that affecting, you know, children with asthma? How does that affect inpatient, outpatient emissions? It's just there's there's such a wide breadth and diversity of research that is directly related to improving the health and well-being of our communities. I think one of the exciting things is that undergraduate students have the opportunity to tap into some of this. And I know that's a big priority here at the U. So can you talk about that a little bit? Why does that matter? Well, first of all, I think we have a, an amazing undergraduate researcher program. Annie Fukushima is doing a phenomenal job. You know, when you send your kids to the University of Utah, uh, it's it's an R1 institution. And so if you're really going to have, I think, a high-quality student experience the integration with research allows our undergraduate students to have a real-world experience studying something or innovating something or creating something that could have direct impact on their future. Uh, and so, you know, I have kids who are teenagers, and I, I've told them, like, you've got to – you don't have to go to the University of Utah. It's mom's <laughs> there. But – you have to go to an R1 institution because those types of research experiences, the data is quite clear, right? You're more likely to graduate. You're more likely to also go to graduate school. And if you go to graduate school, you're more likely to graduate. So it's it's creating a passion and a drive that is so unique to research. And by R1, uh, what we're talking about is a tier one research institution. So that's sort of the top of the top of uh, research institutions in the country. Right. And we're part of the AAU, the Ameri- Association of American Universities, which you have to be an R1 institution. You have to have so much activity and research funding, which tends to be measured you know, in dollar amounts. And so because research is so impactful and when you hit a certain you know, level, your impact is national. And so these opportunities for undergraduates, the work that's going on here, the research that's going on here is is kind of at the beginning stages in some ways. And part of that's because of President Randall's lofty goals. So what is that goal and how are we going to get there? (laughs) Yes, President Randall is quite visionary, but I think he is forcing us to see us for who we really are. I think the University of Utah, sometimes the state of Utah is... um, not as recognized as it should be. I have a, a little slogan in our in our office, like keep expecting the unexpected, because you know we are reaching new heights in in research. So when President Randall announced um, at his inauguration, you know, a goal of one billion in research, I mean, we're going to hit that if we just keep growing. It's just such a, a an amazing momentum we have. But I really think. The goal should be even bigger than that, right? I think we should be trying to go for 1.5 billion in research, and because we we haven't done as well as we could with large interdisciplinary center grants, right? Where you know a lot of our success has been individual grants going for NSF or NIH, but once we form these larger teams, like with the Maternal Health Center in Excellence in Maternal Health and this NSF Climate Award, you really have to pull together a lot of stakeholders. Uh, so how do we support our researchers to go for those larger grants? We have the expertise. That is something that I think the lift office, the large infrastructure funding team um, was designed to do. So, and it's going quite well, right? We're submitting a $400 million EPA grant, Solar for All. But with that type of infrastructure, I I do think hitting $1.5 billion is realistic. That's exciting. Beyond that goal, I mean, where do you see the U being in five years? What would you think that's going to look like? 
Well, in five years, Julie, I think we will be uh, fulfilling uh, the vision that President Randall laid out, right? Uh, 40,000 students, over a billion dollars in research growth, and then, you know, touching the lives of every Utah. So I'm excited to be part of this team and and help us to, to reach those goals. So Aaron, I have a question for you. You started as a researcher, and now you're a top research administrator. Uh, did you ever expect that you'd go that direction? And, you know, what do you love about this job? You know what? No, I I, I actually uh, got my Ph.D. in parks, recreation, and tourism. Uh, I really wanted to run a college student development program or a campus recreation program. When I attended undergraduate college, you know, getting involved and being part of those student development programs really it really helped me uh, to stay in, uh, focused, and you know, I left um, not only with a degree, but I thought as a, a better person. So when I came to the University of Utah for my PhD, that was that was my goal, and really focusing on teaching and and potentially college student administration. And then I just fell in love with research. It was challenging. I loved uh, writing grants and figuring out the best way to, you know, position why this this proposal should be funded, why this question is an interesting question. And of course, that led to a postdoc in the College of Nursing under Kathy Mooney. And I also uh, ended up getting a position with the Department of Health, helping evaluate their tobacco sensation program. And that just changed the entire direction. It was my, it was basically a postdoctoral research experience. And from there, I went to the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I um, completed a bioethics fellowship. Again, I love questions that don't have one answer, right? So when you think about genomics and the interface potentially with reproductive health, like newborn screening or prenatal screening, or even genetic embryo testing, right? Asking those those ethical, legal, and social implications, you know, it just, I, I loved it. Um, and then from there, because of ethics, right, I got involved in the IRB, conflict of interest, and was lucky enough to be mentored by Jeff Botkin and um, became associate vice president of integrity and compliance. You know, and then Andy Wyrick was the previous vice president of research, and he was an incredible mentor and moved me over to help improve the grant pipeline as the associate vice president of research. And when I got the opportunity to be interim, I said, I, I never thought I would have that opportunity. So I treated it as, all right, this is this is my interview, right? The interview lasted a year and a half, but I said, this is who I'd be if I if I was chosen for the, the VPR. This is what you would expect out of me. So the most exciting and uh, satisfaction I find with this job is the strategic development and also creating infrastructure that better supports researchers who are passionate. You know, sometimes I didn't have that in my career. And so finding ways to to help people just focus on the science um, so they can get a stronger grant in versus um, dealing with all the other administrative work, right? That's that's very exciting. That's great. Well, we look forward to seeing what's next from you and your office and the research enterprise at University of Utah. Erin, thank you so much for being my guest on You Rising. Thank you, Julie. Listeners, that's it for today's episode of You Rising. Our executive producer is Brooke Adams, and our technical producer is Robert Nelson. I'm Julie Kiefer. Thanks for listening. 